as we continue tonight and is following the steps as, as Jesus made them in the chronological order that he made them. We find ourselves back in Matthew chapter 17. This is the only place where this particular story is recorded. It's a very unusual one, filled with a kind of a significant mystery, but just a great story. Kind of hard to find the deep relevance if you don't pause over it for a minute because it's easy to read past. It's called the story of the tribute money, born out of a question that was asked that Peter responded to. We'll begin reading it in, uh, in verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and says, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? And Peter said unto him, Of strangers. And Jesus said unto him, Then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast out a hook and take up the fish that first comes up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and for you. Strange story. Odd in several ways, but basically the reality of this is that the tribute money, what's mentioned in verse 24 and what's mentioned in verse 25, are two very different things. And you need to understand the difference to understand the point that Jesus was making. Those in the temple within the church had a responsibility on a regular basis, and generally it was by the year, that every person who attended there would have to pay a tribute. It wasn't a civil tax. It wasn't the government taxing them. It was the church taxing them. And basically, it was money given for the upkeep and for the paying of the things that happened around the church. It was more of a custom that was charged by the church to its members for the, the upkeep. They came to Peter and says, does your master not pay that? Peter immediately would say, yes. I don't know if he was just trying to defuse the situation, if he was trying to avoid embarrassment. He said it with great urgency that his master would absolutely pay. The question, as they ask it, would imply that paying it would be voluntary. It didn't come as if they were saying it was mandatory. They were saying, does he do it? And again, he said, yes, to be sure he does. I want you to know absolutely. So he's trying to defend Jesus and say, yes, he does. And when he came into the house, it says Jesus prevented him. It didn't stop him. It means that Jesus went ahead of him so that he could greet him when he was there because as if he was anticipating his coming. This was in Peter's home. Peter was the only one of the disciples who actually lived in Capernaum, so Certainly Jesus was probably at Peter's house. Jesus got there and he stopped him. And he asked him in verse 25 this question. From whom do the kings of the earth tax? Who do they tax? Now again, this, this word is not the tribute money of the church. He's saying this is the tax money, the civil tax that's owed to the government. He says, to whom do kings, where do they go to tax? Do they tax their kids or do they tax their subjects, strangers. Well, Peter knew the answer because certainly the king is not going to tax his own children. So the king, and the obvious answer was, 
we're going to tax the subjects. Why would he ask this? And Peter answers correctly, well, it's of strangers. So then Jesus comes back and, and responds. He says, then are the children free? What was he asking him there? If he's going to gain it from subjects, do, are his children free from paying taxes? The answer is yes. So where do you think Jesus is going? He's saying, I'm standing in the temple. And they're asking this question about, am I going to pay tribute for the upkeep of this house? In this comparison, who would he say is the king? He's talking about an earthly king. What comparison is he making? He's actually comparing that king to his father. He's saying if the king up here is not going to tax his son, why would I pay tribute in the temple if my father is the owner of this temple? So he draws a very immediate comparison and saying, I have no obligation to pay that tribute. I have no reason. There's absolutely nothing in me, nothing required of me to pay that tribute. And it causes us to think, why not? Jesus was going to pay it, and this is the miracle that he actually performs. He says, if I'm the son of the father who owns the temple, and he taxes me, where am I going to go to get the money? I'm going to the father. I'm going to get it out of the treasury, and I'm going to give it, and where's it going to go? Right straight to the treasury. And he actually says, and I'll prove the point. He asks Peter to do this very strange thing. We know what he's referring to, and basically he's announcing to Peter and to others who were around, that I'm free of of this obligation. I want to make a connection here. We need to make sure that we can make it, but we make it spiritually and not to try to create an obligation. Why are we not obligated, as in the Old Testament, to pay our tithe? I want to be careful how I say this because I appreciate getting paid. What's the reality of this as it applies to us? Why would Jesus go to make this point so that we could actually see it? It's because 10% of what I have doesn't belong to God. 100% of what I have belongs to God. It all came out of his treasury. If I have it, he gave it. Within the spiritual understanding, if he was taxing me with a tithe, I would have to go to him to get it, to pay my tithe, which would go right back to him. So our giving is an act of worship, it's an act of praise, it's an act of adoration, it's an act of agreement with the Father, and not because there's an obligation for us to give a percentage of money. But I can tell you that certainly, what should that create then? By the nature of the relationship, saying my Father's the King, I have access to the abundance, then I want to make sure that I give not only my portion, but I want to give above my portion, whatever it happens to be, because I want to give in the liberality of freedom to God in praise and say that's yours. You take it. Where did it come from in the first place? So there's a real depth to what he's teaching here beyond the obvious. The reason that we're free today from that is because everything I have, if I understand my relationship with God, is I don't assign any of that to me. I assign it all to him. It's his to use. It's for his purpose, and he certainly doesn't mind that I take care of my obligations, and I'll show you that in just a second. What a freedom it creates for us. I don't have to worry about whether I'm giving enough. I have to realize that I want my desire because of my intimacy with God is to just hand it all to him. That God just, it's here. I find just a real amazement. I've told you all this repeatedly, but I'm 
one of the most privileged pastors ever and, and around this area, I guarantee, to be able to pastor here with you is remarkable. I watch you, and I watch in ways that nobody else gets to see, to say, we need to pay for, for something, you know, five or $6,000 and to watch you. And it's unbelievable, time and time and time again, to watch this unfold. And again, I get to see it all. I sit in the position to get to watch the amazement of your hearts. That kind of love and giving and praise can only come when there's a realization that it's coming from him and not from me. Because if it's coming from me, I'm trying to hold on to it. You can tell the difference. When you realize it's coming from him, it just comes. For us in February, this isn't about the money, it's about the heart. But for us, one Sunday, I stood before you and said, we need $4,000 to buy a vehicle for a pastor in Mexico, and you give $12,000. So we had the first $8,000 to give to Jose so that he could go do the work that beginning for 2014. I came back two weeks later and told you we need $36,000 to build the rest of the orphanage in Alora Pro. And for that Sunday morning, for you to give $36,000. To come back a few weeks later and tell you that we need $15,000 and a watch in amazement. That doesn't happen unless you understand the reality of this, that I'm simply giving what God has assigned to me. I'm giving in agreement because God allows me to know his heart, know his mind, and I just give it in agreement with him. And man, it is fun to watch. It is absolutely stunning to get to watch. But here's a strange end of the story. This had to be strange for Peter because Peter's very accustomed to fishing. I don't know the last time he was one at a time in it because he fished with big nets and made money. So Jesus says, I want you to go out here and I want you to get a line and just and a pole and I want you to bait the hook and I want you to do it one at a time. My mind can do so many things with that part of the story because it's almost like Peter didn't want to be seen because he wasn't fishing the way he normally would. And you can just imagine the ridicule of his friends he's sitting out there with his hook to catch one fish he's a fisherman and jesus says i want you to go out there and i want the first fish that you catch i want you to take that fish and I want, when you open its mouth there will be a coin in it again there's a lot of people who would say i read some of this he did it kind of tongue-in-cheek he didn't really expect peter to do that he said peter go out and work catch fish and come back and pay this i don't believe that at all there was a supernatural provision and god needed to tell peter something and he needed to tell us something. God will not send you. God will not speak and ask obedience if the provision is not already attached. We have to get that through our head. That is an absolute 100% of the time, not sometimes, not maybe, every single time. Because if not, then we can't say that in God's words that you will always find me faithful. The provision of God is always attached to his word. If he's going to instruct it, if he's going to ask it, there's always a provision attached to it. In my life in scripture, I've never seen evidence of Jesus ever, any time ever speaking something that, that was in obedience to what God showed him or doing something and there not be a provision attached to it just like that. He released the provision by his act of obedience every single time. That has to be something that locks down within us, that the provision of God is always attached to his voice. If he speaks it, there's a provision attached to it. If we find ourselves in a strange place where we can't see the provision, but we know he heard his voice, we're not looking for the provision in the place where we put it. Don't doubt what he said. 
Seek the provision. Watch for the provision. Know that it came. It will be there. I know that he wanted Peter to get this picture that said, I'm fixing to pay for something. I think there's a, a connection here with him announcing to Peter what I'm fixing to pay for. I came to pay for your sin. I came to pay what you couldn't pay. Because there's a uniqueness in this, and I don't know if I understand it completely, about why he just said to Peter, I want you to go, and I want you to get this money, and then I want you to come back, and I want you to pay the tribute that they're asking for for me and for you. He didn't say it of the other 11. He just said, I want to pay it for me, and I want to pay it for you. Now, that could be possible that he was the only one who lived at Capernaum. And maybe it wasn't expected of the others. I don't know. My hint is that he wanted Peter and he wanted us to know. What you owe, I'm fixing to pay. That's the big story. You owe it. There wasn't a question here that says, Peter, do you pay your tribute? That wasn't the question. It was, does Jesus pay the tribute? And Peter would answer for him. I think it was, it's a strange lesson to us and to Peter that even though it wasn't asked of Peter, Jesus says, I'm going to remove any doubt. Listen again to what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, notwithstanding, not because I owe it, not because I'm not free, but notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, or unless there could be accusation made against us, go to the sea, cast out a hook, and take up the fish that first comes up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and for you. So he's saying, I don't owe it. I'm not obligated to pay it, but I'm going to. I choose to pay it. I can take that on several levels. I can, first of all, like I said, I can take it to the, to the full length of, of the sin that he's going to pay for. But also on a very practical basis, recognize that Jesus is doing something. Not out of obligation, not out of a commandment. He's doing something because he has no desire in this moment to offend anyone. I find that strange because Jesus offended people everywhere. He was kind of in this constant mode because of, the, of this revolution that he was introducing. Because of the difference of how he lived and the love he was introducing and just the whole story. I mean, he was, it was constantly something that he was bringing to their attention. But here he's saying, I don't want to offend them. There has to be a sensitivity in us. And the things that we're free to do, that we still choose not to do, because we have people watching. I'm not obligated. I do because I still know that there are others watching. They will see the story, even if I'm not obligated to do it. I think there's a whole lot of the Christian life that falls in that category of doing what we're supposed to do and avoiding things that we're supposed to avoid, not because we're not free from it, because that sin wasn't paid for, but because we ought to desire to live a life that is carefully scrutinized by others, carefully watched by others, and let them see what our lives are supposed to look like. And I think Jesus, on a very simple level, did that. On a deep level, I think he told us what we absolutely, every one of us need to know, and that he paid for something. Because we couldn't pay it. It doesn't say here that Peter couldn't pay it. But I want to tell you, Jesus took that out of his hands when he says, I want you, I'm going to do it for me and I want to do it for you. He didn't ask him, Peter, do you have the money? I'll just do it for me. He's saying, Peter, I'm going to pay this debt. I'm going to pay this tribute. I want to make this payment. And I do believe he was telling you and I very much what we shared on, on Sunday morning. We ought to be very settled. So absolutely settled in our Christian life, that we know 
with an absolute certainty that I am a child of God. I stand in this story where Jesus stood. My answer in this story is Jesus' answer, not Peter. I'm not Peter in the story. I'm Jesus in the story. I am a child of the, of the Most High God. The God who owns this place, that owns this place of worship, is my Father. I don't live separate from him. He's my Father. He's our Father. Had that happen? Because he paid for something we couldn't pay for. He dealt with my sins that I couldn't deal with, and he paid for it. And I have a longing within the Christian church to, to keep this message constant reality. I want you to know, without any question, that that matter is settled between me and God. I am his child. I have accepted him. I am a sinner. I know that the Holy Spirit has convicted me. I know the cost. I know the wage. But I know Jesus has paid the price that I couldn't pay so that I could be free. And I can say as he said. Am I obligated? No, because I'm a child of the king. I'll pay it. I'll lay down what I'm supposed to lay down, but I'm going to receive it supernaturally so I can give it to you so that the great evidence is still not Jesus. The great evidence to Peter was this is what God has done. Jesus said do it. God provided, and the debt was paid. It's a good story. It tells us a lot. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing picture of the tribute money. It's deep and it's profound and it tells us, Lord, things that I pray resonate within our life. How willing, without question, without aggravation, without frustration, how with such great wisdom you answered Peter, you instructed him, you taught him something, and you gave us a witness of what was about to come, that you were going to pay a debt we couldn't pay for every one of us here who truly understand that, that what would spring forth out of that is a gratitude and a love and a worship and a praise that would show up not only in our giving, but in our life every day as we give to others, love others, embrace each other, build your kingdom as we work together every day that it would show that you paid for what we couldn't pay for even though you didn't owe it. You chose to do it just as you did in the story. I just thank you, Lord, that we can understand that this is bigger than just the, the, the money paid. It's the story of your life, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.